Well, if you will stand with me this morning, we're going to read the word of the Lord to us from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all your ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Lord, I pray that we would see the way of purity in our lives. That we would see that your word is a standard that goes before us, that makes our wet path straight, that prepares us for all temptation and difficulty in life, that, yes, we will encounter those things, but by your word, Lord, we can remain strong and come into your presence in the end. Lord, I pray that we would be purified by your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst after your word like the psalmist, that we would seek you with all of our hearts, that we would rejoice in the way of your testimonies, the way that you guide us, Lord. I pray that your word would be true in our lives today. Pray your spirit would speak and give me clarity and wisdom. Give us ears to hear your word and to apply it to our lives. Just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So last week we started with Aleph. So we're going to all learn the Hebrew alphabet this in 22 weeks. So you have no excuse. Maybe I should write them out. But most of you probably actually have in your Bible the letter for these Hebrew sections in Psalm 119. So you could actually look at the Hebrew letters if you wanted. But last week we did Aleph, and we saw the blessedness of being in God's Word, that that is being in God's Word leads to a relationship with Him and blessedness with him. So this week we will be looking at the bait section, which is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Some of you may have it spelled B E T H at the top, but that's actually not the way you pronounce it. That is, well, okay. There's two ways of pronouncing uh, Hebrew there's the classical, which would be bet, but modern Hebrew actually pronounces this letter bait. So most people now use modern Hebrew since it's actually a spoken language now, even though it's quite different from biblical Hebrew. Anyways, so 
as a, as a title this morning, The Way of Purity. The Way of Purity. So we come into this passage, we've already seen that being in God's Word a, is the way in which we are blameless before God. That if we live according to what God's Word says, then we will live a life that is blessed by God. Does that mean that everything you wish and hope for will happen? No. But it does mean that God's work in your life will transform your desires to be those that He has for your life. Because you begin to live for His purposes instead of what's my personal purpose in life. Is it accumulating things or relationships or whatever it may be? It becomes a delight in Him and His Word, like David. There's a reason why David was a man after God's own heart, because he loved the Lord. And when he fell into sin, and we know the depth of his sin, adultery, murder. But when God confronted him with sin, instead of saying, oh, that was... That was her fault. She was walking out, taking a bath on the roof. Well, that was Uriah's fault. He should have gone into his wife. Or that was so-and-so. He shouldn't have taken the letter and, and made sure that Uriah was killed. No, he realized, and we have a record of his repentance before God. When Nathan said, you're the man, he said, he was angry and indignant against sin, and then when he was pointed at the arrow was pointed at him, he goes, "Oh, and he repented because he knew the Word of God. The Word of God was his life. It was his hope and his peace. So we see him talking about how blessed it is and, and we see, how he is no longer ashamed because he's looking to God's Word. And he makes this commitment in verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. I will do and guard your statutes in my life. I will seek to live by those ways. And then in verse 9, we have a new section. I think these sections are intentional. It was a way in which King David could give us a good section. Again, I think the reason that he did each section by alphabetical letter was so that the Jews in their recitation of these passages would easily remember, oh, that's in the bait section. So they would be like, okay, there's eight verses. Ba, 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 ba. Right? The Aleph section is different because in Hebrew you don't pronounce Aleph unless there's a vowel pointing underneath. But anyways, that doesn't... Unless you want to take Hebrew, uh, you don't really have to know that. But anyways, so he starts verse 9. He says, how can a man, a young man, not just a man, a young man, keep his way pure? 
Some translations say, how can a young man purify himself? Or purify his way? So, it's not clear from this context if this is a young man who is in sin already, in the sense of living in sin, or if it's just a young man that wants and desires to be pure. We know by nature men are sinners, right? So there's no one who is pure before God. But it doesn't make a difference if this person, this young man is already living in sin and he's desiring to be pure, or if he's a young man who has been brought up in the ways of the Lord and he is desiring to remain pure. But his response is very important for us. His response to this question is found in the second half of verse 9, and it follows to verse 16. It's interesting in verse 1 of chapter 19, he says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Keep that in mind. So in verse 19, he's addressing a whole big group of people, all people, who are blessed. And now he's narrowing it down to young men. Why, why would he be talking to young men specifically? Well, think about it. What is a characteristic of young men? Impulsive? Maybe you weren't impulsive. I definitely was. Ask my parents. <laughs> Ask anyone who knew me at that time, a very impulsive, easily excited about something one week and then three weeks later moving on to the next thing. And unfortunately, this is a time when many young men fall into sin. They because they're drawn away by the lust of the flesh, whether it's pornography or whatever it may be, the materialism, things that they can have. So young men are especially prone to sins of impurity because their eyes guide them everywhere. Oh, look at that. Oh, man. Did you see the new Hummer? Oh. I know those are kind of old, kind of old, but. Oh, did you see the new Corvette? I need one of those. Or. Did you see the new electric Ford Ranger? Oh. It has a trunk in the front. And you have charging station. You can, you can hook up. You can take this truck out into the middle of nowhere and you can have electricity. Or I saw, apparently Honda has an electric car. This one was really cool, but... Oh, sorry. 
you can pull out the side and it has a stove and a sink on it. Pretty sweet. I'm sure it's super affordable. (laughs) But it's so easy to be drawn away by things, right? You see a really nice house and you're like, man, I wish I could get that house. There's a really nice house, by the way. (laughs) On the way to Simpsonville. Or maybe it's the right girl out there if you're single. Doesn't matter. Maybe it's even education. I mean, we can all be led astray even with education. Well, what, what's the purpose? Why am, I, why am I doing this? Is it because I want a piece of paper that said I paid way too much <laughs> uh, for something? That's how I felt. Like, man, I could have had invested this money into something. <laughs> I don't know how I'll ever get it back other than... I know that's what God wanted me to do, so it's different, right? Our, our walk with the Lord should guide us in that way. But anyways, as young men, it's, it's difficult sometimes to see God's plan. And it, I think even as, as men, growing, the older you get, the more you can clearly see what God has for you. But even I struggle with, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But if I'm just led by my impulses, then I would be over here because I have a lot of different interests. Now, I might be trying out for the NBA tomorrow and then, oh, wait, no, we're going to fail there. Oh, maybe I'll go try out for the NFL next week and, and uh, maybe I'll go try out for the Olympic swimming team uh, the following week. So I have all these interests that I like, but um, are they a reality? No. So it's easy for us to look at this young man and he's seeking to keep or to guard his way. His way. What is this word way is like a road, his path, the path that he's going down. But if we're constantly being led one way or another, we don't actually know what way we're going. The Bible says there is a straight and narrow way. Same word. Yes, it's in the Greek, but if you look at the Septuagint translation of this word, it's the same word. So we could say, how can a young man keep his path or his road pure? It refers not just to the way in which he's going, but the life in which he's living. His body, his thoughts, his Everything. Desires. Now why would a young man want to keep his ways pure? I know that's a question you're like, why are you even asking that? Because, what does verse 1 say? Remember verse 1? Blessed are those whose way is What's the word? 
blameless. It's the same idea. The psalmist is not just going off in the deep end in verse, in verse 9 and starting a completely new idea. He's approaching this similar idea in the same way, in a similar way, a different way, so that we can think about it differently. So he should be pure. Why? So that he may be blessed, not so that he can be loaded. Maybe some will. It doesn't. <laughs> Being blessed could be and could lead to material prosperity. But the key is blessed by God, that God is the blesser of you. Not that you're the blesser of yourself. I know that it sounds kind of strange the way I'm saying it, but I want us to see that the reason we're blessed is not because we achieve something. We are blessed because God has blessed us because we are in right relationship with Him. Because He is our priority. He is our first place. And there's no one close. It's not like He's number one and then we have number two and number three. It's like He's ultimate and our other priorities all fall underneath of Him. Like my relationship with God is far more important than my relationship with my wife and my kids, my family, my friends. If this relationship is not right with God, then I won't be a good husband, I won't be a good father, I won't be a good brother, I won't be a good friend to anyone. So why would a young man want to keep his way pure? So that he can have relationship with God. Because what happens? God cannot tolerate sin. Remember, Moses was up in the mountain. And God said, I can't show you my face. Because he can't see sin. Moses was a sinner. So God said, I'll show you my backside. Like God's glory is so intense that Moses could not look on him. And when Moses came down the mountain, if you don't remember, his face was shining. So much so that people were like, Mo, come on, bro, you got to cover up. Okay, sorry, I'm being a little... <laughs> I translated that into uh, modern, uh, modern English. No, they're like, Moses, you ca we can't look at you. Like, you're scaring us. There's too much glory going on there, and we need it to be covered. So he'd walk around with a covering over his face so that the people would not be afraid. God calls us to purity. A purity that's self-obtained, we know that's not possible, right? We, we can't make ourselves pure. This is why we need Jesus Christ to come and change us because if we are not transformed by Him, we will not be pure. Because our hearts desire impurity of any kind, whether that's idolatry, having things that are more important than God. It may not be a Buddha on your desk, okay? We don't have, you know, physical representations of idols in our culture, necessarily. Yeah, there's Buddha. That's definitely an idol. There's other idols. 
totem poles, most people don't realize that those were idols. Um, but there's definitely physical idols. But in general, most people's idols are things or people that are more important to them. And God calls us to purity, to be whole in one way. Purity from sin, right? But unto God, unto Him as our source, that He is everything. This word purity can mean, in a sense, holiness. God is calling us to a holy life. You think, well, how in the world can I do this? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 9. By keeping it, what is it? What is it here? His way, right? This applies to young women too, just so you know. And old men and slightly older women. Men don't care to be called old, but... But it is keeping it, what's it? His way, according to Twitter. Does that sound right? Is, it, is that the modern, is that how we need to translate this in the modern? According to Instagram. Hmm. Maybe it's Facebook? Because Facebook is completely trustworthy. Right? You're not going to find any information on Facebook that is false. Right? Like, we can trust Facebook to tell us everything we need to know. Right? Oh, we can't? Man, I need to go back and start reading my Bible again because I thought I could trust Facebook. No. He says, according to your word. Your word. Whose word? God's word. This word keeping, I would prefer to translate guarding. You want your way to be pure? Put a security guard on it. So, just think about this. When a world leader or someone famous is coming to town, do they just come to town by themselves? Do they just like, you know, drive into town and they're... Bentleys with no one else to keep them safe? I hope not. I mean, a Bentley is a pretty expensive car. Okay, well, maybe maybe if they rolled into town with a Rolls Royce, you think they would uh, have a little bit of security with them? Maybe somebody in front, somebody behind them? What about a president? You know, when a president leaves the the White House, guess what they do? They send decoy helicopters so that you don't know which one the president's in. They're guarding their way so that they don't encounter their death. So the psalmist is encouraging us and telling us, you want to keep your way pure? 
You need to put a guard on it. You need to guard it. But how? How am I going to guard it? With a security guard? No. With the Word of God that when we know the Word of God, and it is our life and our breath, and it's in us, then when we meet those obstacles in the road, we have a guard to keep us from crossing into sin. To keep us from choosing sin over the ways of God. So are we guarding our way with the Word of God? Or is the Word of God just a side hustle? You know, when we need a little extra pick up, we pick it up and read a little bit. Or is it our main source of direction in our lives? Just think about this. When you go to make a big decision, where are you going first? And where are you spending the most time? That's a good indicator of what it is that is directing your ways. Because if the majority of the time you're going to someone outside, not that we can't ask advice, especially from other believers, not that we can't do that, but we should focus on what does God's Word say about this? Yeah, there may not be an explicit buy this house or buy that car or sell this, whatever it may be. Whatever you're choosing to do, maybe start this business or, or do this job. or there, There's not a, okay, turn to, turn to the, uh, the book of Job, the book of Job, and uh, find there any information about jobs. It's actually not the book of Job is about, but um, no, there, there's not always, but it's important that we're looking into the Word and, and seeing what is the motivation for this, whatever it may be. Why do I want that? Why do I desire to do that job? Why do I desire that person? What is this purpose? How does this direct me and draw me closer to God? And how does this fulfill His purposes in the world? It's a really good question that I seek to answer. And it's probably why sometimes I take a long time to decide to do something that probably should have been started sooner. But I want to say, I want to ask, am I trying to do this because it will make me more comfortable? Or am I trying to do this because I believe that this is what God would have me to do? So are we setting up a guard for the road that we're on? Are we just letting anyone on? We're like, ah, come on in. And we're always trying to get around the obstacles. Have you ever driven an old dirt road? A gravel road? Okay. How many of you have been to the steward's house? (laughs) Okay, those of you that know what I'm talking about. I remember when I had a, a, a low rider, it wasn't a low rider, but it was a car, and I would just be like having to swerve 
Why? Because there are lots of obstacles in the way to get into their house because that, that driveway had water issues. So the water was washing away and there was just big potholes and just, and the whole goal was to, I would almost like congratulate myself when I got out of the car because I didn't scrape the bottom. I'd be like, whoa, I must have found the exact right ways to go this time to avoid the pitfalls and not damage my car. But we can avoid a lot of the temptations, the trials, the issues that we face as Christians if God's Word is in us. It is our guard. It is before and behind. It keeps us from going astray. Just like, you know how horses in a race have to wear blinders? Why? Because that the goal is, I want this horse to just run straight and to follow my direction. So we've got to put the blinders on so they're not looking to the left and to the right because if he looks to the left and the right, he's probably going to take off in the wrong direction. Sometimes God's Word can act that way to keep us from looking, oh, ooh, that looks like a good way to go or that looks like a good way to go. Or you're on a hard path and you see a nice meadow. Ooh, it'd be nice to walk barefoot on that meadow. Well, last time I checked, that meadow led to Doubting Castle. If you know what I'm referring to, Pilgrim's Progress. God's way and His path, yes, it will lead through difficulty. Just like in the story of Pilgrim's Progress, they had to pass through the city of Vanity Fair. And one of Pilgrim's friends lost his life. But he died for what mattered. He made it. He didn't give up his faith. God does not promise us freedom from difficulties and trials. He promises that He will be with us. But if we're not with Him, is He going to be with us? You're probably thinking, you've only gotten through one verse. <laughs> Are we going to make it through today? Or No, I think everything else is just a explanation of how David I, I believe it's David who wrote this psalm how David kept his way so he kept it according to the word he walked in the law of the Lord you see that in verse 1 the second half the blameless, the pure ones are blessed because they walk in the law of the Lord. Keep His way according to your word. It's almost like saying the same things, but a different way. He's guarding His way. He's walking in the way because He's constantly looking to God's word to make sure that He's on the right path, that He's on the right road. 
How many of you all know what a map is? Okay. There's these things called maps that my kids won't probably know what are what they are, but maybe I'll teach them how to read one. But a map was used to keep you on the right way before there was this, this thing called GPS. See, the problem with GPS is there are many ways to the right place. Guess what? Not the same in heaven. There aren't alternate routes to heaven to avoid traffic, right? Or to avoid Chicago. No offense to the Chicagoans, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) If you're going around Chicago, you better plan for a couple hours of traffic or go through the cornfields. Probably be about the same distance, just no city. (laughs) You feel like you're moving. But anyways, sorry, I just had an experience in Chicago not too long ago and um, still feeling a little bitter. Um, (laughs) But with God, there's one way to heaven. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if he is the only way, then we need to know what... His word says, is the way. And so, God's word is like a map for us. That we look to his word and we see, oh, there's a a road that goes that way, but that actually doesn't go where I'm going. You know, heaven is here, and that, that road, it looks like it might lead to heaven. It might go around the hill. You remember that in Pilgrim's Progress? He started to go around the hill, but then he remembered the word of the messenger. Go straight up and over. Don't follow it around. And he tried to warn his friends, but his friends went the wrong way and they never made it. But he remembered the word. And so when we are going as Christians, we need to know God's word because it's the map that will keep us from sin. It'll keep us on the right path. So David is keeping his word. He's walking in God's law. And how is he doing it? Is it enough just to walk the right path? I don't think you'll stay on the right path if your motivation is wrong. Because eventually you'll be drawn away. So what does he say in verse 10? He says, With all my heart I have sought you. With all of my heart. Not a portion of my heart. David loves the Lord. He has an intimate desire for Him. Those of you that are now married, and did you seek your bride or groom? Did you say, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to be around that person because I like them a lot. And then when you figured out you love them, you're like, boy, girl, you're not getting away from me. Okay. Now, when you love someone, you... Want to be with them with all your heart. You're not like, oh, 
well, let me go do this first and then start following you. No, you, you want to be with that person. And so David has a love for God and, and his love for God is causing him to seek him with all his heart. It's interesting. Look at verse 2 of 119. It says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Are you seeing these parallels? David is speaking in a different way, but saying, I am doing these things. I am setting a guard by walking in your law. According to your word. And I have sought you with all my heart. With all my being. I want to know you. He doesn't just want to know facts about God. You know, like we know facts about Michael Jordan. He wants to know him personally. He wants to know him as a friend As his true love. And we see this especially in the second half of verse 10. He says, I have, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Or we could translate it, do not let me be led astray from your commandments. Don't let me get away from your commandments. Why? Because then he wouldn't be walking with God. He wouldn't be in God's way. He wouldn't have that intimacy with God that he desires so much. He knows that when he wonders from God's word and his commandments that he experiences separation from God. I know this feeling. When I would fall into sin as a young man, the devil would tell me, you need to fix yourself up before you get back to God. Because I felt that separation. It was instantaneous, right? The devil's telling you, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, it's going to feel so good. Oh, yeah, do this. And then the moment you sin, guess what? He becomes the accuser. First, he's the complicit advisor who wants you to fall into sin. And then he turns against you and says, Oh, God would never want you to come back to him now. You're done. It's over. Don't come back until you're, you've purified yourself. Have you experienced that? I have. And he wants us to spend as long as possible away from God because... Guess what? The longer we stay away from God, the further we get away from the path that He wants us on. The longer, it may seem like we're walking like this, and like, but the problem is the straight and narrow way, the longer we walk slowly this way, the further we get away from the path, and we don't realize how far we've gotten. And so the devil wants us to, to try in our own strength, to return to the Lord. And then to cry out to Him. But guess what? That's not what Jesus asked us to do. 
Come boldly to the throne of grace where you have an advocate with the Father. When you sin, don't stay in sin. Go to the Lord. I am sorry, Lord. I don't want this separation from you. I want to have freedom to serve you. I want to love you with all my heart. And I am sorry that I broke your commandments. I'm sorry that I allowed sin to come into my life. Please return me to your presence. Because I don't want to wander from your commandments. I want to walk in your words. I want my way to be in your ways. I want to walk hand in hand with you. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And most people stop there and, oh, trouble. Makes me think of a song I won't sing. (laughs) But we want to talk about trouble all the time, but Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't say, in this world you're going to have trouble. And just go, okay, see ya. He said, but fear not, for I have overcome this world, and I am with you until the end of the age. By the way, I'm putting two verses together, so if you go look for that verse, it's not one verse, but Matthew 28 is where he says, I will go with you until the end of the age. He's not some celestial God up there that... You can't know. He desires a relationship with us, a close relationship, a relationship of love for one another. We're called his bride. I know it's kind of hard as a man to think of that, but we're called his bride. He loves us and he desires to have close relationship with us. And those of you who are married, have you ever sinned against your spouse? Never? (laughs) Did that make your relationship closer? Or did it hurt your relationship? Yeah. It caused a separation until what happened? At what point did that chasm or that separation go away when you decided to talk to one another? And to work out your problems. And to f- repent, whoever was the instigator, repenting and the other one forgiving. And then suddenly it's like, oh, man. Well, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that don't, I don't like fighting with my wife. Because she doesn't fight very well. She likes to run and hide. And that's when I know that things aren't right. But I don't like that separation. Why? Because I love my wife and we share more information between us than I've shared with any other person. And so it's a very similar picture. Marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. Paul made that absolutely clear in the New Testament. When we wander from the ways of God, it's a similar Situation. When we sin against God, it, it brings a chasm. But God isn't saying, hey, stay outside and don't come to me. He's saying, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and learn of me. Follow me. Yoke yourself up with me. Walk with me. It's not going to be easy. We're not talking about sinless perfection where you never sin again. We're talking about a life that is lived for God, that is lived in holiness, set apart to Him. Just like a marriage covenant. You, husband, you, wife, set yourselves apart for one another. You're not going out looking for what your wife or your husband is supposed to provide in someone else. Right? That's what marriage is about. It's finding in one another what God has meant for you to find in one another. Sorry, this was not meant to be a message on marriage, but I think marriage in our relationship with God is a very beautiful picture, and it's a very understandable picture. David does not want to wander from his commandments because he's searched for him with all his heart. He loves the Lord. And you know what happens when you love the Lord with all your heart? Ladies, you probably do this more often. How many of you all had your significant other write a love poem? Joel, did you write a love poem to to Laura ever? Oh. Uh, Maybe we need to get Laura to, to bring that up sometime. I'll quote it. No. Shockingly, I wrote love poems. Megan probably wishes I would write more again, but um, do you think Laura still has that poem? Why would she keep that poem? Was it like, does she think it's going to be worth a lot of money someday? No. What is it to her? Or, I don't know, did, did, were you a, a, a poet too? No. <laughs> My wife keeps all of the ones that I wrote because I'm just such an amazing writer. (laughs) No. But why do you think they keep it? Because it's a treasure to them. Your words become treasure to them because it is a picture to them. It's a reminder of your love for them. That you, a carpenter in my case, would write a romantic poem. I'm not making fun of it because I don't mind poems, actually. But they treasure it. Mm. What does verse 10 say? Or verse 11? Your word have I treasured in my heart. Or... Uh, The King James translates this word hid in my heart. My wife has to hide the things she doesn't want our kids to destroy. Right? Not that our kids are out of control, but we have a one and a half year old who thinks everything is a toy. So we have to hide those things from our children that we treasure because if we don't, they will be No longer a treasure anymore. They'll be destroyed. Or think about this. What do people do with 
their treasures, those things of value that they have. They put it in a safe, right? Do they put the safe at the front door as you walk in so that any burglar who comes in be like, oh yeah, there's the safe. I'm glad I don't have to go through this house to find it. No, we usually hide it somewhere. You know, a lot of people hide them behind photographs on the wall or paintings. Or they have a secret room or whatever. They have a safe. Why? Because they don't want burglars taking what they value. Did you know there's a burglar that wants to come into your life and take what you value? Satan. He says, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal God's word from your heart. He wants to steal God's word from your life because he knows if you don't have his word, then you won't be able to walk in his ways. He'll bring distractions. He'll get you to believe the lies that you find on social media sites and whatever source. Guess what? I know that no one's going to come back now that I say this, but CNN is not the only news network that tells lies. There's a conservative one out there who tells lies too. And they're not fair and balanced, despite what they purport as their slogan. So why does he treasure these words? What is the purpose of treasuring these words? Why is he hiding his word? Well, the second verse of... Second half of verse 11 says, That I may not sin against you. Why? Because what does sinning against God do? It causes him to wander from his commandments, which in turn creates a separation between him and God. This is why God's word is so important for our lives. Interesting that verse 11 corresponds to verse 3. If you look with me, it says, They also do no unrighteousness. So he treasures God's word in his heart because he knows that if that word is stolen, then he will lose his intimacy with God. And if that happens, then he will sin against God. He will... Walk in unrighteousness. He will do unrighteousness. This word sin in Hebrew means miss the mark. So it's an archery term. So if you know archery, it's to miss the bullseye. It's to miss the standard. I don't know if you... Uh, watch any of these things on the Olympics, but they have an uh, air rifle. And these guys, I mean, it's intense how good they are. And even the archery uh, competitions, these guys are really good, but guess what? They're constantly 
Even the best miss the mark. Why? Because we're human. We're sinners by nature. And God alone can transform our hearts and make us walk in righteousness. God has a standard, and in that standard is the way of blessing and of life eternal. And when we miss the mark, we're missing His standard. That's why we need Jesus, right? Because He is the only person who never missed the mark. Do you remember how it described Jesus as a child? When He was in the temple, remember He was asking the scribes and Pharisees about God's Word. And the priests. He wanted to know, and he, he was also expounding God's word, which meant that as a child, Jesus knew the words of God. And it says that he grew in the things of God after that. Because God's word was in him, it was all his life. He treasured God's word. And he died on a cross because that's what the Father had for him to do. That was his path. That was his way. David then, in verse 12, he breaks out in song of sorts, right? He says, Blessed are you, O Lord! You're blessed. You are the omniscient creator of all things. You are in control. You are blessed. And because you are blessed, teach me your statutes. I want to learn from you. I don't, I don't want to learn from the master class on meditation. There's one of those, by the way. I saw an ad for a master class on sleep. <laughs> Funny, the guy called sleep the elixir of life. <laughs> I was like, well, don't need that class. Don't have a problem sleeping except when I don't have enough time to sleep. <laughs> But you want to learn? Learn from the Lord. Be taught by the Lord. Where are you going to find that teaching? In His Word. That doesn't mean we don't go to a church either, because God has called us to be a part of a church, and He will teach us through preaching, the foolishness of preaching, as Paul says. But it will be found and founded in God's Word. You want a firm foundation? It's not going to be following a certain pastor or a certain popular preacher. I may like someone like John Piper or um, trying to think of someone else that's famous, but I may like these men, but I don't agree with everything they say because I don't think it's all from Scripture. So I take what is good and spit out the rest. 
I believe he loves the Lord. That's good enough for me. Or another name, Alistair Begg. I really like some of the things that he says, but I don't agree with everything. Because I would rather have God's word in my life than to be saturated with a hundred different podcasts or a hundred different pastors teaching every week. Not that that's bad, but God's word is where we find a firm foundation. And how is it that God teaches us? Through the illumination of this Holy Spirit. Guess what? Every pastor you listen to is not illuminating God's Word. The Holy Spirit does. That's why I'm very... It really bothers me when I go to a church where God's Word is rarely, if ever, read. God didn't inspire those pastors. He can fill them with His Spirit and use them to make His Word known. But God inspired His Word. If the places that we choose to listen to are not preaching God's Word, there is a problem. We need to be taught according to His Word. And we need Him to teach us. He is blessed, and He will bless those who are in right relationship with Him, who are pure of heart. David desires to be taught by the Lord. But David is not just one of those people that fills himself up. You know, getting fat and obese in the Word. Taking God's teaching just to himself. No, what does it say in verse 13? It says, with my lips I have told of all Sorry, told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I've heard them from you. You've taught me. But I'm not keeping it to myself because these words are life. They're peace. Remember what Peter said? Jesus said, are you too? Because Jesus had just made some statements that were pretty tough. He said, are you too going to leave me? And Peter said, no, for you have The words of life. Your words give us life. They are life-giving words. It's like David is a teacher, an evangelist. He's going out sharing the good news. Why? Because the good news gives life. You want to know if you love the Lord and His Word? It can be pretty easily determined. Are people asking you why you have hope? Are you constantly impelled and desiring to share what God has done in your life with others? It's a pretty good sign. I'm not saying that I am perfect at this because I know I'm not. I desire to be more 
bold. And that's why I need more of the Spirit. I want to be more bold in my witness because there are people dying every day who have no hope. They have no relationship with the Lord. They've never, some have never heard the gospel. And it's getting more so in our country. There are people walking the streets of Shelbyville today that have never heard the, the gospel of Christ. They may have heard of Jesus, but they've never heard why he came. They've never heard who they are and what they need because of their sin. But David is delighting so much so in God's word that he wants to tell everyone about it. So I, I like music. And if you ask my friends and my family, a lot of times I'll be I'll hear a new album and be like, oh, this is so good. And so I send it to like I don't send it to Joel, but sorry, Joel. Um, but I'll send it to people that I know really like music. Because I think other people would be like, you're always sending music to us, and we don't really like it. So, not that they don't like music, but I have a, a large variety of taste. Christian, but um, anyways. But I want people to know these songs. I, I think they're good. Or, I like good food. And so, when I meet somebody from another town and they're in Louisville, I'm like, hey, you should go here, you should go here, you should go there. Oh, they're so good. Oh. I remember places by the food that's there. Not necessarily, probably the people too, but if they have bad food, why would you go back? <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But there's not much good food in Cincinnati. <laughs> despite what people say about Skyline. <clears throat> but when you taste something that is good, you want people to know about it. When you taste of God's Word and you, you have drank it in and you begin to love His Word, you can't help but tell people what God's Word says, what God has done in your life. Kind of like there's a really good coffee shop. And those of you who know me know I don't like coffee. But there's a really good coffee shop in Louisville. And so every time somebody comes here and they say, oh yeah, I went to Heine Brothers, I'm like, Ugh, how could you go there? Or I went to Starbucks and got coffee, they're more like, ugh, ugh. Like you need to go to Sunergolf's because that's the good coffee place. Those of you who have been there. Because it's good, it, I've tasted it, and the, though I don't like most coffee, they do an amazing job with what are called frou-frou coffees. <laughs> Their other coffee's good too, but they have great coffee. So even people who generally don't like coffee can go there and get something good. And it, I want to share it with people. We want to share with people those things that we delight in. Those things that make us rejoice. 
Right? This isn't about uh, all the places you should go eat in Louisville, okay? Sorry. (laughs) I'm just using examples because those are things that I enjoy. And so because I enjoy those things, I I want people to, to enjoy them as well. But because I enjoy the Lord, I want them to enjoy His presence in their lives. Their lives. And so I share with them and and then I rejoice, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. It's interesting. Testimonies is not the direct object for those grammar people here. It's the indirect object. It is... The object of this sentence is he rejoiced in the way that the testimonies led to. So in the midst of the trial, he was rejoicing. In the midst of the triumph, he was rejoicing. Coming down the mountaintop, going up in the valley, on the plateau... Wherever he is, he's rejoicing because that way is a way in which he knows God is with him. God's testimonies have kept him no matter where he is. When he walks through the shadow of the valley of death, he fears no evil. He knows he has the victory because Christ is with him. And if by some chance he died that day, he would be in eternity with Christ. He does not fear, but he rejoices as he goes in the ways of God. You know, James 1. Count it all joy when you encounter fiery trials. James, what's wrong with you? We should count it all joy because... We know that God is with us, that He is going with us, and that He will answer our prayers. That He cares for us, that He hasn't left us alone. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion says, if you can get here, you can make it. But Christianity is different because God came down to us, sent His Son to die on the cross, and though... He is at the right hand of the Father. He says, I will be with you always until the end of the age. He hasn't left us and said, okay, just get up here where I was. No, he says, come walk with me. Enjoy intimacy intimacy with me. David rejoiced in the way of God's testimonies as much as in All riches. Do we rejoice in God's ways in that way? Or do we rejoice more over a pay raise or a job that pays significantly more than the one we had before? Or an inheritance, or whatever it may be. Is that more valuable and 
worthwhile and to be treasured and rejoiced over in our lives? I pray not, because it is easy to rejoice in riches. It's what the world wants. They want it all. But if they don't have a relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter. Because that will all go away. One day it will burn up. It will be useless. So what does the psalmist say he's going to do? In light of this, in light of this relationship with the Lord, that intimacy as a young man, searching for Him, he's already searched with him, for Him with all his heart. He's treasured God's Word in his heart. He's blessing the Lord, asking Him to teach Him His statutes. He's rejoicing in God's Word and His way. In verse 15, we have two things that he says he will do. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. Not meditate like Eastern meditation. This is the reason why I'm opposed to yoga. Because yoga is an exercise. It's actually every pose in yoga is a worship stance to a specific um, Buddhist god. Hindu god, sorry. Buddhist. Can't remember which one. But, so each pose is a pose of worship to a specific god. And the purpose of yoga is to meditate or to rid yourself of all thoughts. This is in opposition to God's word. Because when God speaks of meditation, guess how, what he talks to meditate on? Nothing. He actually says every time it's my word or my precepts, my testimonies, my... It essentially is any word to describe his God's word, that's always what he says when he says meditate. I know this stance is not popular, but I would encourage those who don't believe me to look it up. Because our life should reflect God's word. Right? Because our ways are directed by God's ways. You know, Proverbs 16.9 says, A man plans his way, but God directs his steps. And it doesn't, it's not bad for us to plan what we're going to do. We're seeking God, we're planning, and then we let God direct our steps. Just think of the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul? He's walking along the road. He's going one place and God stopped him. He said, no, you can't go there. You've got to go over here. He gets there and then God said, nope, uh, go over here now. Paul is making plans to evangelize Asia Minor, which is current day Turkey. But God is directing his steps. It's this interplay between us seeking to obey God and being Willing to listen for his voice. 
So we should meditate on his precepts. Meditate on his word. Mull it over. Read a verse or read a passage and just think about it all day. Think about what it means to seek the Lord with all your heart. Just think about that. Monday, read one of these, some verse in Psalm 119 and just think about what it means. What is King David saying to us? What is God saying through his word? Meditate on his word. And regard his ways. This word regard is to look, like with eyes, to look to your ways. He's not only going to meditate on God's word, he's going to look for how to live according to his way, to walk in his way. He's going to keep his eyes wide open because his desire is not to be um, in the wrong way. He desires to do the right thing, but he realizes that he can't do the right thing if he's not looking to God's Word. Because there are many people in this world who say, well, I want to do the right thing. But they're believing and letting the wrong sources be their guide. They're looking at maps that are faulty, that are missing a road here. They're missing information there and so they get to a fork in the road and they're like i don't know which way to go oh i'll go this way because that seems right that seems like the right thing to do but in reality they are being led away they're wandering away from the commandments of god and david finally says i shall delight i shall delight in your statutes i will Just love it. Your words, your statutes are my delight. They are all I need. That's what I want with all my heart. I'm going to delight in your word. I'm going to delight in you. And I know that if I do that, I will not forget your word. That word that I'm delighting in, I'm meditating on it. I'm treasuring it in my heart. I'm hiding it so that no one can take it away because it's my life. And I know that if I live according to this word, I will experience the way of the blessed man of God. So whether you're young or old, you want to know the way to purity? It's in the Word of God. It's in relationship with God. It's in relationship with Christ. Christ coming and changing your heart so that you desire to follow His commands. You're not going to find His commands on Facebook. You're not going to find them in the schools anymore. Not that they change anybody. You're not going to find them on most public premises anymore. You need to look to God's Word. There are a lot of Christian memes on Facebook that I see, and I'm just like, it really bothers me because 
They're moralisms. There's actually no actual truth in what they're saying. Because they're not coming from God's Word. They're coming from the world is so influenced the Christian culture, which is inevitable. There's no one here that has not been influenced by the culture we live in. It's impossible. And that's why we have to constantly be going to God's Word and seeing, is my response to my wife or my husband, my child, my friends, my family, is that response because that's how God said to do it? Or is that because I have been pre-programmed by the world I live in to think that that's God's way of dealing with that situation? So I will finish. Are we seeking God with all of our heart? Are we yearning to get into His Word every day? Are we making His Word a priority in our lives? I talked about what I've been doing. Not that I'm perfect because I don't always do it every day, but I've been listening to the Bible read while driving. It's just incredible. Some of the encouragements and the thing, it's, it's a way of meditating on God's Word because you hear a verse and you just start thinking about it. Huh, I've never heard that before. I wonder what that means. Or just making a commitment. I'm going to do this every day. Not as a legalistic, I have to do this to have... no. You go into God's Word because you, sometimes you have to start with discipline and it becomes a delight. Right? Same thing with our kids. We discipline our kids to do one thing and then like eat their food and then they begin to delight in the food that you give them. So they realize, oh, that food is actually good. So I want to eat it now. I don't have to just eat hot dogs and chicken nuggets. Right? You don't have to argue with a kid to eat a hot dog and chicken nugget. That's like, whoo! That's everything that a child's pilot needs, that and peanut butter and jelly. Um, but then they start to enjoy more food, and eventually they're eating foods from all over the world, and they're like, oh, this is so good, and I like that food. Oh, I like this. Oh, that's probably why I like the food I do, because I was not allowed to not eat unless it wasn't uh, cooked by my mother, which... Uh, Brussels sprouts were on that list. Now I actually like them. But <laughs> um, but when we begin to meditate on God's Word and we begin to long after Him and to seek Him with all of our hearts, and we treasure His Word, how, how might we treasure God's Word? Meditate on it. Memorize His Word. That would be a good way. That's hiding in your heart. Have you thought about memorizing God's Word? Making it, it a daily thing to memorize scriptures. You could do... I know people who do whole chapters. Not at once, but they'll do one chapter at a time and they'll just keep adding and adding and eventually they can quote a whole chapter or a whole book. Or you know, If you pick Philemon, you could say, I, I have a whole chapter or a whole book of the Bible and... People don't actually ask you how many verses are in how many chapters are in Philemon, uh, one. <laughs> how many verses? Uh, or Jude. Jude is a, a good one too. But hide His word in your heart. When we ask God to teach us 
His statutes. What are we doing? Are we getting into His Word and letting His Holy Spirit teach us? Are we asking others to come alongside us? Hey, I was reading this the other day, and I didn't totally understand this. What, what does this mean? Do we think through and meditate on His Word? Do we delight in His Word? I believe if we see the importance of God's Word and we love the Lord, that this should be us. Young, old, middle, wherever you are in life, God's Word can be a delight to all of us. I pray it will be. Father, calls us to delight in Your Word, to love Your Word, because we love you. That our motivation, our desire to do right would be led to your word, not to what this world defines as right. Not what our community defines as right, but what your word says. Or make us people of your word. Revive our hearts, Lord, by your word. Give us life and peace and hope no matter what circumstances we come into. Remind us, Lord, that you are walking with us. You haven't left us alone. Go with us today, we pray. Increase our love for you and your word, for the lost. Increase in us a longing to share what you've done in our lives, to share what your word says. Make us children of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.